Hi everyone and welcome to the Changing Tides podcast. In each episode, we invite guests to have honest conversations about their mental health journeys with the goal of destigmatizing mental health within the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Due to the nature of the podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of mental health topics and possibly triggering experiences. While we and the majority of our guests are not trained professionals, we encourage you to practice self-care while listening and seek professional guidance if you or a loved one is in need of support. With that said, let's start the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Changing Tides podcast. Uh, This is going to be a little bit of a different episode. That's why there wasn't a little snippet in the beginning. We're kind of just jumping right in. Uh, We are recording or you are going to hear an interview that I did where I was interviewed alongside my dad actually uh, for Cato. Cato is another program that's in Little Tokyo that has a really amazing goal. Let me just read it directly off their website. Uh, Cato was founded in 1961 and they aim to improve the quality of life for older adults and their caregivers in the Japanese American community in LA, Orange, and Ventura counties. So. Cato has an amazing goal, and I was really honored that, you know, they asked Changing Tides to speak. I did not nominate myself. The rest of the CT crew actually said, hey, you and your dad should go speak to go have a multi-generational viewpoint on mental health and maybe be able to address it from different sides of the spectrum. So it was really exciting. Uh, I was very nervous to do the interview, but I think it went well. So what you're going to hear is the Cato speaker series that my dad and I were invited to do, uh, and I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, here is me and my dad. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Matthew. Let me uh, unmute you there. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you both for making the time to be here tonight. I think um, I'm really looking forward to tonight's conversation. I've been thinking about it all week, and uh, I'm really excited for this. So you know, to kind of start the conversation between us, um, want to kind of know about your maybe mental health journey. So Jeff, would you mind kind of getting us started with uh, your mental health journey? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, I remember it very vividly. Uh, it, it kind of started in 2007. I was in my mid forties and um, I, with my three boys and wife went to Hawaii to attend a conference and we were having a great time. In fact, while we were there, I ended up extending our stay by two nights just because we were having so much fun. It was on the island of Kauai. Had a great time, no problem there. Uh, But then when I came back to Los Angeles and went back to work, the first day back, I became dysfunctional. I went into my office turned off the lights, closed the door, and just put my head down on my desk. Um, I didn't know what it was because uh, I hadn't experienced it this way before, Um, but I did go to our company EAP, Employee Assistance Program, um, and uh, found out what was going on at at least at a high level. When I look back earlier in my career, before 2007, I, in retrospect, see small markers of 
showing that I had the uh, startings of depression and anxiety. Um, there was one time when I was driving home from work, I thought I was having a heart attack, but it was an anxiety attack. Um, so uh, anyways, um, fast forward back to when I came back to work after our vac family vacation, um, I went to EAP. They were very helpful. I was very fortunate. Boeing has a good medical program. And uh, I was referred to a psych psychologist who uh, then referred me to a psychiatrist. Um, since then, I started on a reg pro uh, med regimen, which probably took two years to get it right. I mean, to the point where I was... Uh, uh, not feeling any of the effects. And even to this day, there are small adjustments that I need to make to my regimen. Um, so I continued to see my psychologist until she passed away, unfortunately. And to this day, I continue to see my psychiatrist who uh, keeps me uh, tuned up. Um, let me get into my family a little bit. Uh, we have we have three boys, um, ranging in age from twenty three to twenty nine, and uh, unfortunately, I passed along my mental health to them. They all had depression and anxiety to a certain extent through through their. Uh, through their young lives. I was planning all along to let them know when maybe they were 40 or 30, let them know about this so they're, they're cognizant of it. What, what surprised me was how early in life that they had had this. So there's a lot of guilt that comes along with that, passing that along to my boys. Um, but, uh, they're all doing good now. So that's kind of a capsule of my mental health journey since 2007. Thank you so much for sharing that uh, since 2007, it's been a long journey. And even since before that, I think you'd mentioned um, panic attack in the car ride and all of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know, Jeff, you, you said you came home from the vacation, you went into your office, what was the instinct in, inside of you to say, I need help? I'm going to go to the EAP office. Like, what, what was inside of you that said that I need to do that? Or was it a conversation that you might have had with your wife or somebody else? No, I, I just knew I needed help. Um, uh, yeah, it was, I was just so dysfunctional. I just had to close my eyes and close the door to my office and keep to myself for a while. And uh, our EAP was just downstairs, so I went down immediately to see him. Wow. It's nice that the EAP office was in the same building as you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff. Um, I kind of want to make sure we capture both of your stories at the same time. So, Matthew, would you be willing to talk about your uh, mental health journey? Yeah, uh, I think mine has a, it's kind of blurry where exactly it started. Uh, it was somewhere between sophomore and junior year of high school. I think junior year is when I was becoming more aware like, oh, 
this is something to be worried about. Uh, sophomore year, there were like little hints at it. Uh, I had just lost my grandmother. So, you know, there were some things here and there that were like, it brought me down. But bounced back for a time and as mental health fluctuates. And then junior year was when it got noticeably bad. I didn't know what to call it. Uh, I've heard of depression. I've heard of anxiety. I just didn't know that's what I was going through. So at the time, whenever I'd talk about it with anyone, I'd call it a funk. I was just in a funk. I was in a down place. Um, so I know we'll discuss more specifics from my standpoint. Um, but to kind of summarize like the journey I've been on, I'm honestly, and I'm just so grateful for it. Um, it's been tough at times, of course, but it's taught me about who I am and who I want to be. And I've grown so much through it. Um, I mean, it's strengthened relationships. It's strengthened my, myself and how well I know myself and my needs and asking for help. And, you know, it's brought me to speak here today and hopefully make an impact on someone else. But, um, yeah, from high school, that's, that's kind of where it all started for me. And, uh, from there is where the journey kind of went. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you mentioned age 17, maybe feeling anxiety, maybe feeling depression, some words you've heard. What were some like key signs for you that you knew that you were struggling? So in these times when I, when I was in my quote unquote funk, I completely removed myself from everyone. Um, at school during lunch, instead of hanging out with my friends, I would find a quiet spot of campus. I'd just sit down and eat my lunch by myself. Uh, I, I didn't want to communicate with anyone. I didn't want to interact. It just being, being social was so draining for me. Uh, so there were times of that junior year, but I think when I really needed to, when I realized I needed to get help was my senior year. Uh, it's senior year, it's supposed to be a fun time, you're about to move on to college, it's like the last hurrah of high school. And for me, I, I was in a really good place uh, on paper. I was the student body president, um, I was editor, co-editor-in-chief of the yearbook with two really good friends, and you know, I had, I was quote-unquote popular, like I had what everyone would think is going perfectly for me, but I couldn't enjoy any of it. All of it was because I was in like kind of like a, you know, a place where people knew who I was, it was even more draining for me. Um, I, I distinctly remember on when it was at its worst, I would go, I would leave school. I'd leave right away as soon as I could. I wouldn't say bye to anyone. I just beeline it to my car and then I would drive home. I would park right in front of my house. And for five or 10 minutes, I just turn off the car and just sit, sit in this silence where I could just be alone, completely nothing happening around me. And those five to 10 minutes are what gave me the will to kind of put on a brave face and tell my mom when I walked into the door that I had a good day of school. Because at this time, I, I didn't realize, but I thought that telling anyone about this was the biggest burden I could put on anyone. Later, I realized that wasn't the case, but at the time, I just didn't want to burden anyone. Um, but at nights, I couldn't sleep. Uh, my mind was rushing with 
the worst possible thoughts of what was going to happen tomorrow, the next week, the next month, the next year. My mind was racing. I could never sleep. Um, as a result of all these worst case scenarios and just everything going wrong, I couldn't be, feel happy. I would blame anyone else around me, my family, my friends. I pushed everyone away at the time. And I realized this wasn't sustainable. So when I realized this wasn't sustainable, I sought help. And, um, you know, I, I went to my parents because I know my dad just said, like, when he was going to tell us about to be aware of this when we turned 30 or 40. But a long time ago when I was a kid, I distinctly remember my dad saying something about a chemical imbalance. When I heard chemical imbalance, I thought at the time when I was like 10, 12, I thought he had a bad, he had a stomach ache. That's, that's what I thought a chemical, like, that's what I thought that what, what that was. But then upon realizing that's not, that wasn't the case, I was like, oh, this one little thing my dad told me once, I remembered that. So I felt comfortable going to my parents and saying, listen, I know something is wrong and I don't know what to do. I love you. You're my parents. I need help. I need to do something. So because my dad had experienced all this before, I wasn't aware at the time, but because he had, he was able to help me find help, see a psychiatrist, get a therapist. And um, my journey is a little bit different from my dad's. I was very lucky. The first medication I tried was the right one. It's the one I'm still on to this day. The dosage has changed here and there, but it's the same medication that's worked for me. And I was super lucky in that sense. But it took me two years to open up about this and realize that this was a chemical imbalance and that I had depression, not just a funk. And that when it comes to stuff like that, leaning on someone else, whether it be family such as me or you know, friends, which I find later opened up to and leaned on and sought, you know, when I needed someone to speak to, I could go to. Reaching out was the, the best thing I could have done for myself is to ask someone for help. So that's kind of where my journey, um, luckily, um, so far, uh, was at its worst. But then I was very lucky to have a quick turnaround and have improvement pretty quickly. Yeah, thank you. There's a lot of questions I want to ask, so let me navigate this. Um, you said, I, you know, a couple minutes ago, I have or I have depression, I have anxiety. What does that mean for you to name that? And maybe we can have Jeff also respond. What does it mean to hear your son say that and identify with that? Do we go? Go ahead. For me, I think for me, for to say I have depression despite the fact that for a long time now, I've been doing really good. Uh, my medication has been working just fine. My mental health has been pretty good for the most part. To say I have depression is, is it's, that's a good question. I think for me, it's to say, I know that this is somewhere I've been and it could come back, but I, I've been through this journey. I know I had now have gained the tools to navigate depression. And it's not something that will ever completely go away from me, but I've learned the tools that I, I could utilize along the way with the help of others to navigate this mental health. So I think for to have depression, that's what it means to me, if that makes sense. Totally. So for me, uh, the feelings that I had during depression, uh, I wouldn't want to get out of bed. It was a struggle to get to work. Um, 
I lacked interest and motivation. I could not, um, I was just negative about things. It's really hard to describe it. Uh, you know, one thing through my journey, my wife has been so supportive of me throughout this entire journey. But to this day, she says, I don't know what that's like because she's never had it. And that's right. You know, I mean, both Matthew and I said we didn't know what it was until we had it. If I could just add, because I guess I didn't address like what it was for me, like in the, the, the worst of it. I like when I like when I define depression for how I felt at the worst of those times, like similar to my dad, the, mo the lack of motivation, the not wanting to get out of bed. I felt those things, but like I, I could tell I, I wasn't myself. Oftentimes, I think people think depression is sadness. And that's kind of how you would identify if you're depressed or not. But for me, oftentimes depression didn't even come to fruition in the form of necessarily having sadness. It was more of a feeling of being empty, feeling like a shell of myself. Um, I felt flat. That's the that's how I would often describe it is I felt flat emotionally. It was there wasn't sadness or happiness. I just felt like a shell. I didn't feel like a person. So when I when it comes to how I define de depression, it could be a range of things, but and people could it could come to fruition for people in many different ways, but for me, it was being flat. See? Yeah, you used a, a lot of interesting words like flat and funk, and I think these are good descriptive words for maybe folks who don't want to necessarily use the word depression or use the word anxiety. It, it, it could be helpful. Um, I think a question I want to ask Jeff is, you know, while Matthew was going through this and I think coping in his own way with parking the car in front of the house and waiting five minutes, did, uh, was there any thought that he might have been going through something in high school or on the outside it just looked like everything was business as usual? I think my wife was probably in a better position to uh, judge that because, you know, fortunately she was able to quit work after our second son was born. But, you know, I, I was working, I was at the office, I was working the long hours. Uh, I just didn't get the chance to see them, uh, you know, shame on me. I'll add to that. Okay. <laughs> you shouldn't, no, like it's not shame on my dad at all. He, I mean, to answer for my mom, because she came with me to my psychiatrist appointment, she said he's not the same happy kid he used to be. And when we were in that appointment, it hurt. But it was, that still sticks with me because I know that the biggest burden for her was to know I was hurt, but not knowing, for me not to know what to do. So the fact that I was able to open up and get help, that was the best thing I could have done for my mom and for my dad. But you know, my, yeah, don't, don't, he said shame on him. He shouldn't have said that. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to say that really quickly.
for me, I, I felt like it was physiological, the anxiety in particular. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that time when I thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, I couldn't breathe. You know, I had to pull over my car and um, I called my wife and said, you know, I don't know if I'm having a heart attack or not. But I talked myself out of that. And but then, you know, that was the start of really starting to know that I was having an issue. I say the same for me. There were a lot of physiological reactions. Um, like once I got in a panic in my head of or an anxiety attack, my I would spiral and I wouldn't be able to sleep. I would oftentimes in high school I have sleepless nights due to work I had to do, but more so I, I had more sleepless nights due to my mental health of having this spiral and then I just lay in bed, I'd scroll on my phone, I'd try to go back to sleep. None of that would work. So I'd wake up, I'd be awake through the sunrise and I was like, oh, well, the gym's opening soon. So I just go work out before school because why not? Like, I'm, I'm just going to lay here anyway. Might as well do something semi-productive maybe, even though it probably wasn't the best to work out on no sleep. And then I'd go to school and pretend like nothing happened. But um, yeah, it was a combination of both, but definitely a physiological response. I, I totally relate to the spiraling uh, message. Like sometimes our brains just go into weird places and we go down that rabbit hole and sometimes it's hard to get out. So completely relate to that as well. Um, I want to go into a little bit more about um, like what led you to seeking help. I think that seems to be a, a big barrier for a lot of folks trying to get help and support. So uh, you, you guys have briefly touched on it. Maybe we can dive a little bit deeper. Um, you know, Jeff, the EAP office was one floor down. Um, you talked about seeing a psychiatrist and then a, a, a psychologist or a therapist. Like, what was that like instinct to get you in that door? You could have not gone out of the car that day, you know? Yeah. You know, if I mentioned earlier that there were uh, earlier markers in my career when I felt like if I examined it, I would have realized I was getting, uh, starting to get um, depression or something. But you know that I grew up in a Japanese uh, family and you know, the, the feeling of gaman was always there. So I tried to grin and bear it. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't, it, it was really when I became dysfunctional that I realized I need help. For me, when it came to realizing I need to get help, it was realizing how much my relationships were being affected. My high school girlfriend at the time, that was not going well. And a large part of it was my fault because of this mental health. My best friends were, I was distancing myself from them when I was at my worst. But even when it was I was in the mood to hang out. They assumed I wasn't because to be fair, I was canceling every other time. And then with my family, I was starting fights that were unnecessary. Sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> I was starting unnecessary fights. I was not talking. I wasn't communicating. And it was mostly when I was seeing the people around me no longer be around me. It was largely my fault. I realized it was my fault. That's when I decided I needed to get help. Thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah. Um, 
Jeff, you mentioned a Japanese cultural value that I think we can all relate to gaman. Um, or gaman yeah, I think about yeah. gaman and, and Enrio a lot when I think about mental health. Um, how much do you think that these kind of embedded Japanese cultural values have influenced your maybe pre-mental health journey leading up to that point? Um, I, I think a lot, you know, it's, it's ingrained in who you become as you grow up. And I still remember my dad telling me gaman or gambatte, you know, and, uh, I never used those terms around my boys very much, but, um, yeah, that, that was definitely there. Now, there are a lot of cultures that have a stigma around mental health. There are a lot of cultures that do, and, they, and that has similar uh, analogous sort of cultural responses to mental health stigma. You know, a moment there, you just said, I didn't do that to you boys. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, why didn't you perpetuate this gaman culture? You know, I, I, that's a very good question. I don't think I can put my finger on it. Um, do, do you feel like I did? No, it's actually funny. It's actually making me a little emotional to think about it because I haven't thought about it before. But prior to knowing about my dad's mental health or anything, from being a little kid, of course, we played sports and like we did all the stuff that quote unquote boys are supposed to do like when you're growing up, whatever. But we were never like always told like man up or, you know, anything like that, that was gender focused. It was always more of just like do your best. Like if you're going to do something, like work hard at it. So, you know, in that sense, there's still like the Asian American, like, you know, get good grades, that whole thing. But that's everyone. But it was never like this masculinity thing. It was and like I, I'm very grateful for that because of, you know, it's made me very you know, progressive in the way that I, I could see the world now. I'm very open to everyone and anyone in their perspective. But at the, when I was a little kid, I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to unlearn any of that. And I didn't think about that until now. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an open conversation for learning about ourselves and each other. Definitely. Yeah. You know, Jeff, I, I think as a father, you, you probably, had something deep inside of you that you wanted to stop that cycle of whatever you might've experienced as a, as a child. And, and you, you planted that deep in your brain that I'm never going to do that to my, my kids. And it was reflected in your parenting. Hmm. We still fight. Do not get us wrong. <laughs> we're we're for human. Every, for, yeah, for everyone listening, we're, we, we still fight, you know, we still, yeah, we're, Although in all this talking, we might sound like we have everything figured out, we don't. So we're just like every other family. Thank you for, uh, bring, yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I mean, okay, you mentioned family. I, I would love to know, like, yeah, Matthew, you're the youngest of three. How has, how has this whole mental health journey resonated with your family of five? Um. I think for me, I was able to, there, there have been so many times when I've been able to talk about it with my brothers. Um, you know, of course, we're brothers, we fight. We fight all the time, or we used to fight all the time. But whenever it came to mental health, and it's similar with my dad, like I said, we fight. But when it came to my brothers, 
my dad, my mom, when it came to mental health, we knew that was the time to like, okay, let me, let me put on this other hat and be there for you. So in that sense, that's the, the way that this family dynamic has been so, I'm so lucky to have because we could put everything else out the window and know that this is at the forefront and the most important thing to, to focus on right now. Uh, in terms of being the youngest, I, I, I think I was the, I can't remember when it came to fruition about, you know, when each of my brothers got depression or were realizing that it was depression. But I think, I think my oldest brother actually realized it last or got depression last. And it was nice where I was kind of then able to give him advice, be like, this is what I experienced in my mental health journey, even though I'm six years younger. Let me tell you, let me try to help you out now because I've had more experiences in this area. So, yeah, I think if that answers your question. Totally. It's interesting how age just becomes a number at that point. Yeah. Jeff, any any thoughts on how the family has been able to navigate this? Well, you know, in some ways, I think my boys had it easier dealing with it because I because I came from a place of empathy. Um, you know, I compare that to a family who uh, hasn't had that and does have more of the instilled Japanese cultural elements to it. Uh, it would be harder. Like I try explaining to my mom, who's 87, uh, about all three boys having depression and they got it from me. Um, she, she just, it doesn't register with her. So in that way, I think it's been helpful for my boys to have me as a resource that is empathetic to what they're going through. I would also add that there's there's families out there who, or there's individuals out there who have a hard time coming to the terms that mental health matters at the very most basic form of this conversation, that mental health is something that can cause as much issues for a person as a broken foot or a broken leg. It could, it could be just as bad, if not worse, to your productivity or whatever you need to get done. So the fact that my parents were at least at the very bare minimum willing to acknowledge that mental health is a reality of something that we need to address, I'm so lucky to have that. And then have parents that have experienced this and have had to talk with therapists themselves or psychiatrists themselves, that was all the extra. So I, I just to say that from my perspective, like I, I was lucky to have way more than the bare minimum in terms of a mental health resource as a parent. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's coming back to me, the conversation, uh, Jeff, you were talking to your wife about a chemical imbalance and Matthew, you overheard that conversation. Was there any other point in time that you guys can remember that you had openly talked about chemical imbalances or any funk or feeling flat i don't i didn't know that you remembered that yeah whole discussion you know i don't you know i, I don't remember I, but it can't comes to that too i don't even remember if my dad sat me and my brothers down and said this is a this is something that i'm dealing with i don't even remember no, how didn't. it came you didn't i never did i don't even remember how i how this is that it was something that i remembered maybe it was a dream it wasn't a dream but i don't i don't remember how i even remembered that but in terms of 
you know, my dad telling me about his mental health or putting it on my radar. I don't remember, but I do remember like before actually seeking help. Like there were times when it got bad and I had to vent to my parents about how tough this last week or so had been. But at the time, you know, we, we thought maybe it was just going to be that one week and it would disappear. Uh, and, you know, it would come back. But obviously it came back. But um, yeah, there, there really wasn't anything open discussions in that way. I have to say I, I did have some of the stigma inside me that I kept my depression and anxiety was probably one of my closest held secrets. I did not talk to other people about that for many, many years. Um, and I'll never forget the day I was so proud of Matthew for having, you know, he, he mentioned he was the editor in chief of the yearbook. He published in the yearbook an entire page that was his story about his mental health. And when, when I saw that, it just made me feel like, oh my God, I have to learn from my son. He is walking the talk. He is, he is sharing this story and he's helping people. I have to do the same. So I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about changing tides, but when um, Margaret Shimada and her daughter Cortland uh, first talked to me about changing tides, I thought that's my opportunity to make a difference. So uh, to this day, I, I value changing tides tremendously. We'll definitely save as much time as we need to to talk about changing tides. But Jeff, that was so touching to talk about the, the hearing about the yearbook and, and, and that propelled you to want to do more. And you're on the board of directors at LTSC to ensure that this is you know, going to happen. So thank you for stepping up and making sure that this is a priority. Yeah. Um, Matthew, what did it what did it feel like to hear your dad say that he was proud of your yearbook page? You know, it's it's funny because you know he's 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 told me this before, and you know I'm I'm so glad, and you know I I I, I probably don't appreciate it as much as I should because of changing tides and because of the fact that this is our goal at this point is to open up people to discuss this. But I mean, I should appreciate it more. But at this point, it's like. I don't know. We're 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 so deep into this that we we're trying to even help more people. So like, and now now and I also can't appreciate it as much as I should because I just you know we're we're both fighting the same fight at this point now. So more I I, I and I don't really it's hard for me to I guess um, conceptualize the fact that I inspired him inspired you in that way. It's it's just like. It's something that kind of goes over my head because I, I when I wrote it, it's because like I, I would talk to friends here and there, be like, you know, this is what I was going through. And I'm finally feeling so much better because my friends would notice I was doing better. And when they noticed I was doing better, I'd say, well, this is what I was going through. Here's what I did to deal with it. They're like, hmm, I felt that before. I didn't know that's what depression is. I could look into that. When I realized that all, of, not all, but the majority of my friends around me were feeling the same way, I was like, well, 
I wonder how many people at this school are feeling that way. And that's why I, we decided to put my story in the yearbook. And now, you know, that's, and then that was in alignment with Changing Tides and that, that Changing Tides is doing more, me working with Changing Tides is doing more than I ever could on my own. So, you know, the fact that we're both working towards the same goal is, is what I think gets to me the most. Yeah, I've gotten to, I've gotten from a place where this was a closely held secret of mine to this is my fourth panel on mental health that I've been on. And so, uh, you know, when I have the opportunity to talk about it, you know, the way I look at it is if I can help one person reach out, then it's been worth it. I think we both feel that way. We've got almost 50 people on this. So I I think that'll be a good goal for tonight. Uh, I have one last question in this section, then I want to move on. Um, How has discussing your mental health journey or experiences been helpful for you? I think, you know, Jeff, you just talked about this is your fourth panel. So how has that been helpful? Well, it's brought us, you know, it's brought me to be able to work for Changing Tides, be part of this crew, meet amazing people. So that's for one. Like without my mental health journey and talking about it, you know, I wouldn't have met so many great people and been a part of so many amazing things, such as this speaker series. Um, And I think it's really helped me and I've had strong relationships, but it's, and I've, Many of those I've continued through even before my depression got to its worst, but it's strengthened all of those. The ones that I've been able to maintain, I've been able to make some of the strongest relationships in my life. Um, so without my mental health journey, I, I wouldn't have the amazing people in my life and I wouldn't be the person I am today. So discussing it is what has got me to that point. for you Jeff uh yeah I mean talking about it has has really uh I've gotten so many people when I go on these panels I've I've heard so many I've had such a strong reaction from friends that have been there that heard it and say that wow that was uh that was amazing thanks for thanks for talking about it so it's it's got its own intrinsic reward, you know. Thank you. So um, at this point, I kind of want to turn the mic, so to speak, to you folks and and ask, you know, if there's anything that you want the audience to hear tonight about maybe, a, you know, what would be your wishes for the audience? What would be like a call to action that you'd want them to explore? But um, maybe Jeff, we'll start with you. What would that what would that be for you? Well, I guess. Primarily, if if you yourself are struggling, there is no shame in asking for help. The help is out there. Uh, You have to look for it. I will tell you one of the hardest things that finding a good uh, therapist is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, it's it's hard to find a good one. Um, So I think Matthew's going to talk about this resource list a little bit later. The other part is... um, If you see a family or loved one with any of these triggers, any of these traits, reach out and let them know that it's safe to talk about it so that 
they can go out and get some help. I love those two. So if I can relist those off, um, it's uh, if you as an individual are struggling, if you need help, go get help. And then if you have someone around you, a loved one um, who might be struggling, reach out to them, talk to them and help them get the help that they need. Right. To add on to, yeah, to add on, you know, I, I, especially that last point about if you see someone that you think might need help, or if you're just concerned, or if it's just a loved one in general, you're not concerned about their mental health. There's nothing wrong with, you know, saying, you know, how are you really doing? Because I think you'll greet each other like, hey, like, how's it going? The answer is supposed yeah, it's always supposed to be, oh, I'm fantastic. But like, to, to be able to go to someone and be like, well, but truly, like, if, how are you, like, how are you doing? Or if, if you act, like, if anything's ever not good, you could talk to me. Like, those types of, like, letting them know, like, you actually are asking how are they doing is a big help. But, you know, to get back to, like, the work that Changing Tides is doing and like what my dad was mentioning about finding a therapist, that's been one of our biggest goals of this year is helping people get access to good, culturally sensitive care. So one thing that's on our website, the Changing Tides website, is uh, our therapist directory. Our therapist directory is a, a full list of therapists that we have vetted and are able to get more information from them to ensure that they're addressing different needs of people, whether it be, you know, there's answers to where they're located. There's answers to if they have a sliding scale for people in need of or with financial needs, uh, their approach to therapy. If they do individual couples therapy, family therapy, group, it's a list to give you more information so you're not scouring Google and just Googling Asian therapists if that's your main priority. Um, and then when it comes to young adults, you know, we have a resource that we're really proud of called CT stream. CT stream is our therapy stipend program where we're actually providing free therapy per individual, six to 10 free therapy sessions. Uh, we've had people go through the program and it's been nothing but positive feedback. We're able to actually match them, uh, with options of therapists that we think would be a good fit. And it's not done by me. You know, we have a, a, somewhat, a retired ch- uh, child psychologist who is our intake coordinator who will make contact with each person who wants one of these stipends, hear more about their needs, and then she'll do the work and say, mm, I think these two or three therapists would be a good fit. You should reach out to these two or three. These would be the best fit for you. And then Changing Tides covers the costs. Um, so... Those are like two of our resources that are available for just about anyone. Our therapist directory is available for anyone. And, you know, it's such a resource that, you know, if, if, that, if that's your takeaway of like, Ugh, I, I don't know what to do, I really encourage people to check that out because there's such great therapists on that list that are AAPI, non-AAPI, have different specialties. It's, it's, it's something we're really proud of at Changing Guides. Yeah, I have to say I've I've referenced that website more times in the past couple of weeks than I've ever referenced another directory like that. So it's it's pretty outstanding for everyone in the audience. Please check it out. Uh, Makoto has listed that along with the Changing Tides website in the chat, so um, that's available to you right now. Something that I I totally did, didn't think about until right now is uh, Matthew. Would you 
be willing to talk about what changing tides is. I think we've named it, but we haven't actually talked about what changing tides is. So You know what? I should have done that from the beginning before I went into any of this. So that's my bad. Uh, changing Tides is a program of Little Tokyo Service Center. Uh, it was created back in 2018. Uh, that's did You got involved right in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, it was started with conversations among four college students saying, you know, the AAPI community, none of us are talking about mental health. Those four college students then reached out to Margaret Shimada. They reached out to the, this intergenerational committee that they built out with people of different uh, expertise in marketing and business, whatever it might be, to put together one event. That one event uh, was like a gala fundraiser to kickstart Changing Tides, and it was a, a, a day dedicated to discussing mental health openly. From there is where Changing Tides has gone to be able to do this therapist directory, CT stream, continue to do that gala event, and a number of other events that we have coming up. But, you know, it, it was to address mental health, destigmatize mental health, prove that mental health matters. It all came from this need to talk about it. And now more than ever is where we're seeing why Changing Tides is so important. There's this mental health epidemic that was is going on right now and resources like ours and many others are addressing the needs of the AAPI community and beyond where mental health needs to be discussed and addressed. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I think Changing Tides is doing wonderful, great, outstanding work, um, really getting the word out there about mental health matters and uh, putting on meaningful events that you know brings people in, but also promotes the mission and vision of the group. So, shout out to those four college students for you know putting their minds together, and of course now as a staff member, you know working on it as well. Well, they are all Bruins. <laughs> I know they all went to UCLA, and then I, I was actually the first non-UCLA student to join their crew. So now I hope I'm I hope I'm doing them a hope I'm doing them a a service. <laughs> I think you're doing great work, so keep it up. Um, I do want to move us into a Q&A at this time. So if um, anybody in the audience has any questions, thoughts, comments, please include it in the chat or put it in the Q&A. Um, first question for you, Matthew and Jeff. What advice would you have for families struggling with mental health, both from a parent's and child or adult child's perspective? I'll go first. Go ahead. I think my advice to the parent is that, that same thing I said a while ago about making sure you're fostering the environment for them to actually tell you how they're actually doing. Oftentimes, kids won't give you the response, the, the honest response. That's just the truth. Um, but making sure like, you know, asking how, asking how was your day of school is a great question, but asking like, how are you really doing? Like, are, have you been doing okay lately? Like whenever my parents ask me that, like I, I, I'm able to put my shoulders down and be like, honestly, I've been pretty busy. I've been pretty nervous about this and that and the third. Um, and also, even if it seems like they are doing okay, you know, if you have a hunch, like, you know, your kids, if you have a hunch that something's wrong, you could check in on them a little bit more. And, you know, your kid might sass you nine out of the 10 times you'd be like, I'm fine. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just playing video games. But that one time that you do ask and they're ready to open up is, could be the game changer. So, you know, it's, 
it's terrible that kids can be jerks to their parents sometimes and not even think of the th give it a second thought but that one time could be the biggest difference in the world yeah i i don't know that i can add much to that uh i i think starting the conversation is the most important part thank you uh, another question that came in have you ever had an experience where you want to help someone who may be struggling with mental health, whether family or friend, but you also don't want to overstep your boundaries? Any recommendations for supporting them without maybe intruding on their personal space? Wow, that's a great question. That is a good question. You want to take a stab at that one? Sure. Um, I think, you know, it's always that conversation. Just saying like, hey, if you need me, I'm here for you. That like, or... Like if you ever, you know, if, if uh, like, how are you doing? And if they say good, it's like, I'm curious though. Like how, are, like, how are you really doing? Like how, how are things, how's work, how's school? You know, I don't think asking like how someone's doing would ever be overstepping. Um, or even just checking in with their loved ones and being like, hey, like how, like does this person seem like they've been doing okay lately? I'm just a little concerned. I don't think that's overstepping. You know, it's just you're showing that you care ultimately. Yeah, I can't think of many people that would uh, be offended by you coming out and saying, no, I, I really want to know how you're doing, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, people would look at that as an authentic conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, extending, you know, yourself and, and saying, hey, how's it going? I think a question that I like to use uh, when I'm trying to gauge how someone is doing is ask them, have they eaten today? Mm. You know, kind of start from there. So I will definitely be thinking about this conversation the next time I'm going to have a chat with somebody. Um, you, you two had mentioned, uh, you know, the, the resource, uh, uh, the directory, the therapist directory listings, and how it is um, very, I think, vetted or it's you know very tailored to the API community this question is is why is it important to get culturally sensitive care mm, that's a great question so you know people have different needs when they go to therapy whether it be having the immigrant experience and wanting to talk to someone about that that's huge or whether you know when it comes to um, good grades that's something that everyone has is is a pressure for a lot of kids, but that pressure of getting good grades for from the Asian American experience, having someone have that same cultural background is big. So, or the model minority myth, like a lot having a therapist coming from an AAPI background could help you and speak to the model minority myth from their experiences and understand what you're talking about. Um, so. You know, that's one of the biggest things when it comes to why culturally sensitive care is important. But there's other needs too. Uh, th that's a reason why we've added therapists that may not be in the AAPI community, but they address LGBTQ plus needs. So it's really dependent on what you prioritize most when seeking a therapist. But we have found that people who have gone through CT stream or people who have utilized the therapist directory having someone with a similar cultural background is one of the top priorities when seeking a therapist. Oh, that's right. That was one of the part of the questionnaire, huh? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, it's helpful to speak the same language, like metaphorically. Right. 
how do you explain to a non-Asian person what gaman is supposed to mean? I've, I've definitely, I've definitely experienced that personally. I've had two non-API therapists, so it's taken <laughs> <Yeah>. weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, a question from another community member. Do you have any coping techniques that you use when you are experiencing emotional stress or maybe anxiety? What, uh, what are you doing to help mitigate that or work on that in the moment? I've taken lead, so okay. the last few. Well, I mean, for me, it's... Um, put the phone down, uh, talk to my wife, let her know that I'm feeling blue again, um, get outside, walk around, exercise. And if it persists for a long time, then I'll pick up the phone and call my psychiatrist and say, you know, I have not been doing good for the last two weeks or whatever it is. And uh, can, can, can we have a, an appointment? And from that's usually when I may tweak my med regimen a little bit to help me out there. Uh, just the past couple of days, I've been going through, uh, he calls it a funk, I call it being blue, um, where I've been blue and I've reached out and talked to my wife about it. And so she forces me to go and help her walk the dog, stuff like that. Is, is this like a, a code word phrase that you have that has been helpful in your relationships? Uh, yeah, it has. Because she knows exactly what I mean when I, when I tell her I'm feeling blue again. I think for me, people know a funk, what, like what I mean or, you know, and, and I'm lucky. Uh, like I, I, I'm, I'm growing up in the generation of people where you know, in the last few years, mental health is just something you could d- discuss with almost anyone in my age range. And, you know, to credit of, I'm not saying Changing Tides changed the whole world, but back when Changing Tides was created in 2018, kids my age weren't, weren't able to do that. So in this day and age, in my age as well, this is the time where mental health is able to be discussed. But, you know, for me, when it comes to coping in these times, for one, I need to exercise almost every day, maybe to a fault. Not to say I'm like a huge muscle man or anything, but like I need to work out or else I can't move on with my day. Um, and then when it's these down times or a funk, I check in with myself. I think, well, is it something that's causing this? And if so, let me try to work through that. But if I'm noticing it's just this, it's this, uh, chemical imbalance, it's a funk without necessarily a quote unquote reason, there's no cause and effect, that's when I have to look at it and be like, well, maybe I need to check it with my psychiatrist, maybe I need to eat cleaner for the day, maybe I need to sleep earlier. If it's not a cause, causation, that's when I have to like look at the the chemical imbalance side of things. Yeah, our, our bodies are very complex. <laughs> there could be a lot of things. Yeah. I think uh, this will be the last question. So, um, and this comes from maybe an adult child perspective or a a child's perspective. Uh, Any tips on how to bring up topics with parents who may not be open to talking about mental health? Oh, that's tough because I was lucky enough to not have to experience that. Um, From my friends who have told me that this is something that they experience, it's going to, I'll, I'll be frank, it might be really difficult. Uh, and some, there are occasions when that might not work out for the individual. 
it, or it might take a lot of time for the parent to come around on it. But to know that you have more of a support system as well in that worst case scenario where they might not come around, to know that you have more of a support system around you that you can talk to is huge. So it might not need to be your parents. It could be your best friend. It could be your auntie, your uncle, your grandparent. And, you know, but when it comes to having that difficult conversation with your parent, they might surprise you. When it comes to their own kid, you know, they'll move mountains for you. So I do think that worst case scenario hopefully won't happen because when it comes to their own kid, they want you to be the best version of yourself ultimately. So although historically or in the news, they might not be open to talking about mental health or acknowledging it, when it comes to you, I think that there's a very good chance that hopefully that wouldn't be the case. That was amazing. Uh, no, I, I agree. <laughs> okay, I, I, I lied. I have one more question for you too. And maybe this one's for, for Jeff. I think, um, I think you could really speak to this one. How can you encourage someone to reach out or speak to a professional when they are hesitant to maybe talk to a stranger about their feelings or what they're experiencing? Hmm. Well, so when I look for a, a, a doctor in the mental health field, I actually look for someone that's not, um, that's different than me because the, the, um, Japanese community is, is a small one. The Asian community is a small one. So I, this is just me. Um, I found it more comfortable to talk to someone that I don't know that doesn't have the, you know, the reach. Yeah. Matthew, any other thoughts on that question? Um, I think a lot of it also has to do, I, I'm very comfortable with giving a content warning even in, spe in speaking. Or like, like, are you comfortable with me bringing up depression? Like airing out that question before because I'm so comfortable with talking about it. I know everyone else, not everyone else is. So if I'm saying like, are you comfortable with me talking about mental health to you or something along those lines? I think in that sense, talking to a stranger has been really helpful. But when it comes to someone specifically in the mental health field, they're trained to be able to bring on anyone. Uh, I was having a discussion recently with someone within Changing Tides. They said, you know, therapists these days are trained to be able to talk with different groups that aren't within their their realm of um of life of their demographic yeah so although you might want to find a therapist who is within your demographic mental health professionals are trained to speak to anyone from any background so in that sense i think it you, there that gives me comfort in knowing that anyone in the field should have the tools to at least try to understand where i'm coming from definitely and, and i'll say for the two non-API uh, therapists I've had, they've had that empathy in them to want to learn about Enrio right. mm -hmm. or Gamon. So I totally agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. Well, we are about out of time. Matthew, I want to ask if there's anything you want to plug for Changing Tides, anything coming up that people should know about? Yes. So coming off the tail end of just mentioning that I'll give a content warning, uh, I will throw one out right now. Uh, one of our events coming up does have to do with suicide. Um, it's something that is a side of mental health that is especially not discussed, but unfortunately it's a reality for a lot of AAPI young adults, seniors, um, 
you know, adults, whatever it might be. It, unfortunately, suicide is a side of mental health that is a reality. So with that, Changing Tides wants to address the suicide and raise awareness and also provide resources towards suicide prevention. So with that, we've created Ripple, Ripple Effect Walk for Suicide Prevention. Uh, it's a walk in memory of those who have unfortunately passed by suicide. Uh, and also to give people tools to hopefully, if you have those discussions with people, have the tools to help save a life. Uh, and that's this event is a fundraiser, but it's an, it's going to be an amazing day to bring people together uh, at Lo in Long Beach State uh, at the Jack Rose Track on July 16th. And, um, you know, it's something that we, we need to address and Changing Tides is happy to have that conversation because that's what Changing Tides has always been all about. Wonderful. July 16th. So everyone mark the calendars. Makoto has put a link for the event in the chat here. So uh, click on it when you have a moment. But with that, Jeff and Matthew, thank you so much. This was one of the most wonderful conversations I've had about mental health. So thank you both for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for everyone for listening too. Thank you to Cato for inviting us onto their show. Uh, if you want to find out more, Cato's website is linked in the podcast episode description. And uh, my dad and I did a talk like this a while back for Nisei Week. And uh, if you want to hear that, that will also be linked in the episode description. Uh, but with that said, thank you again to Cato. Uh, we were really honored to share our story. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our show that releases on every other Tuesday. Give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you would like to support our podcast and help us grow, you can do so with a donation to the link at the bottom of the episode description. To hear more about Changing Tides, follow us on Instagram at LTSC underscore Changing Tides or check out our website, thechangingtides.org. Let's continue to change the tides on mental health. Yeah.